0: Talking animals. <laughs> Walks like an animal. Talks like an animal. Must be an animal. Come hear the animals. Talking animals. Talking animals.
1: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss and my guest today is Kimberly Carroll, a veteran Toronto activist who truly wears multiple hats. I'm going to run down some of those hats right now. For starters, Carroll is director of the Animal Justice Academy. A no-cost online advocacy course offering broad training to activists at all levels of experience in order to more effectively work on a host of animal issues. Another hat Carol wears is Campaign Strategist with Animal Justice, which describes itself as Canada's only national... Animal Law Advocacy Organization, essentially functioning really as a network of attorneys who toil for the legal protections of animals in Canada. Yet another Carol gig involves leading the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank, whose stated mission is to, quote, provide healthy, environmentally responsible, and cruelty-free food to vegetarians in need, end quote. And if that's not re- already a resume brimming with professional obligations, Carol also serves as a coach for change makers. That could mean a leader, activist, entrepreneur, educator, other type of change agent, guiding them through the range of challenges these figures typically face, offering all kinds of tools and strategies and more. We'll address at least some of these roles. This is a test of the emergency alert system. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813 239 9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813 433 0885. This is Kimberly Carroll on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Kimberly.
2: Good morning, Duncan. Oh, it's so good to be here with you and your community.
1: Oh, well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals, and uh feel like we got all kinds of things to, to cover, and probably not nearly enough time to cover them all, but we'll just Take our best shot. So, um,
2: yeah, your bio, the reading of my bio, made me exhausted.
1: <laughs> I know. I need a. I need a nap already, which isn't really the best thing, right, at the beginning of an interview. But oh, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, but it it appears that a big theme of your life and your work involves change. So we'll explore the kinds of change you cultivate in your professional life a bit later. But let's first talk a little bit about some of your own changes. For example, looking back when you were a kid. What aspects of your personality do you think helped shape the person you became?
2: Mm, interesting. So, I think from a really early age, I, I just I, I was a bit of a weird kid, and I and I just always was questioning: Why am I here? How should I be living? my life, what's my purpose, all that sort of thing. And and it really led, you know, you can imagine the kids didn't really like to play with me much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stop with the questioning, yeah.
2: That's right, exactly. Um, And it just made me really aware of of what was going on around me. I think I was also very sensitive, like a lot of activists are. Mm-hmm. Um, just had a real high level of sensitivity and empathy. And so I was really t- tuned in to where there was hurt. Um and so that really, you know, led me to caring. I had a real sense of justice, a real sense of fairness. Um, I'm also a Libran, so you know, a real sense of, of, of uh, you know, the, the scales of justice. Yeah. Um, and and then meanwhile, I, I had an especial love uh, for for animals. Um, and you know, I really I love the cats and dogs around me, um, and. I also, every animal, basically, that I encountered, I, I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I was also uh, a, a mate. I came from farm a farm community in Manitoba, which is the prairies in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so, just up above North Dakota. And uh, I I really... I really had a disconnect for until young adulthood uh, around the fact that, oh my gosh, I love animals, but I'm eating them. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, here I am. I'm a kid that when my dad was burning the field, um, you know, to just get rid of the brush, I would be crying, trying to collect all the mice so that they didn't get burnt. But then on the other hand, my consumption was, you know, killing animals and causing them a horrible life. Before that, so it was, uh, it was something that that was really started to uh, be something that was very hard to deal with in my mind. And of course, coming again from farm community, I'd ask the question, like, w- isn't it wrong to be like eating these animals? And people would just say to me, "Oh, you're you're being silly. You're being sen- you're too sensitive. You know, yeah. like, that's the way things are." And um, and so I, because I was such a big meat lover, um, I, I swallowed that. I just kind of went, okay, well, that's just the way things are. Um, and,
1: and also, yeah. doesn't it seem like, because it sounds like uh, in your fir- first part of your response, really sounds like you're looking back, we're kind of a precocious kid in, in a lot of ways. And so really kind of had a lot of sensitivities and stuff. And then what you're saying is like, but yet, meanwhile, here I am. It was attracting animals and making sure the mice didn't get burned in the fields, but then eating them. But isn't that the classic story with just a slight twist here or there of just about everybody, um based on the family culture and just the, the culture, the larger culture that they grow up in, so that whether it's you know, that kind of farming slash meat emphasis or, you know, we always went to the circus when I was a kid. So, of course, I went to the circus or, you know, substitute whatever here. Isn't that kind of the classic tale?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think I've met a kid who doesn't have um, a special bond with with animals who who aren't really drawn to animals, have a tenderness to animals at, at a certain age. Um, you know, at a very young age, you put an animal in front of a child and they want to connect. Yeah. Um, they might not know how to. And the idea of, of eating or harming an animal is, is, is horrific to a child. Sure. And there is a period of time with, with children where they're eating meat, but they actually don't know what they're eating. And I think it sort of happens, this, this realization happens so gradually that it just they become desensitized to it. Yeah. So uh, I, I mean, I know I've I've heard many stories from from the folks that I've my colleagues who you know talk about how, um, you know, watching a, a mother with her child at at a sanctuary and and the sanctuary leader you know introducing this animal as a chicken and and the and the daughter said you know mom is that the chicken we eat and she's like no 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 honey that's a different kind of chicken.
3: <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and yeah. so
2: there's this like. It's kind of like Santa Claus. There's this big sort of cultural, you know, um, uh, decision to pull, you know, the wool not a non, not a vegan thing over yeah. or over people's eyes, right? Yeah. And um, and everybody's in on it. Uh, and by the time we finally kind of are in on the secret, we're we're kind of complicit in it. So we keep going. Yeah. So and
1: yeah, sometimes I guess
2: something happens,
1: right? Right. <laughs> well, no, that's exactly right. And, and sometimes. I mean, uh, you know, keeping it going or, or being complicit in it, I, I, I hear you. But sometimes I also think it's not even as nefarious as that might sound like. It, again, it's almost like at a, at a cultural level, like, this is what we do, this is what we've always done. And so unless somebody comes along that's kind of, you know, a provocateur or a disturber or whatever, no one's going to really have reason to question it until, you know, yeah, they, they have some... yeah.
2: And I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, I I don't like, there are no bad guys in this story. Mm -hmm. We've all ended up in a culture that because of survival, we tended towards certain practices. Uh, that, that we're destructive and we've just kept going with them because we're not aware. You know, a lot of us aren't aware. Or even when we are aware, we're not capable of, you know, of really getting it or really yeah. being able to tune into the compassion around it. So I really try, like, that's one of the things, in you know, my coaching and my teaching in animal rights, is that, you know, we're all we're all these poor suckers who've been dropped into this life. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going from going to. We're doing the best we can and and it's our job as change makers to try to wake people up, try to inspire them to dig into that sort of deepest well of awareness and knowing and truth and, and love and bring that out into the world.
1: Yeah. Well so on this show I'm often interested in, in exploring uh, origin stories as well as people's journeys uh, professionally and or personally, um, which of course in, in this case usually leads to something animal related. So talk to me a little bit about, so you're in Manitoba, this is kind of what the norm is and then how you traveled from there, kind of just at least give me a bit of a sense of that journey.
0: Hmm.
2: Well, so so like I said, I was in farm country, but my family did, my immediate family was not farming. So I wasn't really exposed that often to, I mean, I, I certainly met farmed animals when I was around them, but I, I wasn't exposed to really what the slaughter and, you know, and and, and, I, and anybody who did have animals around where I was at that time, it was small scale farming. Um, it, they were wheat farmers who had a few animals on the side. So so, really, um, I wasn't exposed to what is basically 99% of, of farming, um, animal, and agriculture in this day and age. Um, but I do remember um, it was, again, I was a young adult. I was out at a friend's farm uh, just after calving season, and there were twin calves. And I spent the day with those twin calves. And I just, I mean, I you know, a lot of people call uh, cows grass puppies, you know, like they're mm-hmm. just... They're just like puppies. They're just like dogs. They're so affectionate. And I fell in love with those two little beings. And then uh, we went in for for dinner, and they were serving for dinner my favorite meal, steak. Mm. And I just remember the cognitive dissonance just got too strong. I I looked down, and I just went to myself, Kimberly, your, your ethics need to become stronger than your taste buds. Mm. And that was the moment I just went, I've got to try this. I, I didn't think I could do it because, like, honestly, Duncan, I was a huge meat eater. <laughs> like, I loved, like, people made fun of how much I loved meat. Yeah. And so I said, okay, well, I'm just going to try it. I'm, no promises, but I'm going to try it. And from that point on, that was 26 years ago. I've been veg ever since. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, was, it wasn't super easy in the beginning because, uh, you know, that wasn't the. Heyday for vegan items, um, sure. but uh, but it certainly you know was it was so much easier than I thought it would be. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I guess because I, I was finally aligned with my conscience and my heart. Even the small inconvenience that it, it might have caused was so little. I felt like oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? This is what what I needed. Like there was so much turmoil going on in, in my, like I said, in my brain and my heart. Yeah. So so that's where it started for me just as veg and then it took me about 10 more years to go vegan um, and that's when the internet basically started. <laughs> so like that's when I started seeing what was happening, like actually happening in factory farming and that was it. I was like, okay, now I have to be vegan too. Yeah. Um, and at, at around the same time I became an activist. Um, as many people do, uh, have have changed via documentaries. I mean, for me, it was a one-two punch of uh, a movie called Earthlings.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm sure
2: you know of it with yeah. Team Phoenix and then also Peaceable Kingdom and that in basically one week's time, I became vegan and I became an activist because I went, well, it's not enough for me to change my diet. Um, this world is messed up and there is so much suffering and I have to actively, actively do something about it. So, um, so yeah, so I started in grassroots activism, you know, like a lot of people. Holding up signs, going to protest. i didn't know what else to do.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but meanwhile, I was a television host and producer. That—that um, that was my career. Yeah. Um, and and so I—I I realized at, at one point, you know, fairly soon in that I, I better use my skills um, in this movement. Sure. So um, so that started my journey as an activist doing various um, campaigns and initiatives.
1: And I so I assume once you sort of said, hey. Over here, uh, I am a TV host, and over here, I am initially at least a grassroots activist. Let's put those a little more together. So I'm tapping kind of the strengths and abilities and skills that I've kind of developed. Not to mention whatever you know production yeah, elements.
2: I really believe, uh, Duncan, and again, this is another thing I, I try to teach: is that um, we there's so few of us doing activism in the world, and even fewer of us doing animal activism, and so we need to bring everything we've got to this movement. Not, not, I'm not saying to put every minute and every ounce of energy, but every you have, every quality, every um, particular um, story or background that is unique to you and and, and find a way that you can bring those skills uniquely to this movement. So, uh, you know, I often say to, uh, you know, people like if you're a graphic designer and you're out there pamphleting, I'm going to come over and like hit you across the head, right? (laughs) Like you should be doing graphic design. That's what we need right now, this movement. Um, Or if if you're a writer, um, I I don't spend, uh, you know, Four hours fighting a troll on Facebook. Get out there and do write letters to the editor each week, or sure. um, go and write for an, uh, an organization. So, so yeah, uh, for me, it was using my uh, both my TV skills. I, I, did, I did a lot of sort of folks pe- person stuff, but i I was also a producer. So,
3: yeah.
2: um, the very first thing I did was a campaign called Why Love One But Eat the Other," and it was a Subway ad campaign um, that that I co-created. And it just blew up in Toronto. It was like the first time there had been ads um, out in the public, you know, on subways. And um, this campaign, I just couldn't believe how much it blew up. And it ended up coming across uh, Canada campaign. Uh, Singapore picked it up. Germany picked it up. Australia picked it up. So that was like my first um, sort of experience of going, okay, I, I didn't know how to do a campaign. I didn't know how to do all of that stuff, but I just went in and I tried to do it. Yeah. And I did it, and it, it was like, oh, wow, this is like, I this is by your skills. Yeah. It, it can be really powerful because there, there's not, you know, there wasn't much going on at that time. There's a lot more going on, but every time you, you start a new initiative, like, it, it, it's, it's a powerful thing.
1: Well, and also it's it's hard not to be kind of uh, catapulted when something like the, the you know subway campaign takes off to that degree. you sort of feel like, whoa, whoa whoa, I'm, maybe I'm onto something or maybe I have a bit of a flair for this. I better I gotta keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and there was no going back at that point. People knew my name and I wasn't gonna
1: get away with right. Out. yeah, <laughs> what's, your, what's your next campaign? Yeah, keep it That's coming right. yeah,. yeah. So
2: um, so after oh, sorry go ahead oh go ahead no that's us go
1: ahead you go ahead
2: I was just going to say so after after that I was doing a variety of things but uh, the next big thing I uh, that I was involved in was bringing Mercy for Animals to Canada mm-hmm. um, and so and we basically did the first undercover investigations in Canada which blew a lid off of uh, off of the animal ag industry here in this country. Um, and uh then eventually that led to uh joining and building animal justice and also the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank. So and from Animal Justice uh launching uh the Animal Justice Academy, which I'm the director of.
3: Right.
1: So
2: that's kind of a real quick lightning resume right there.
1: Yeah. Well, no. So I think we're going to go through some of those uh, resume items uh, in in a moment. First, I want to let people know this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Shousey. If you just tuned in, my guest is Kimberly Carroll, a veteran Toronto-based animal advocate, leader, consultant, and coach for changemakers. If you'd like to ask Kimberly a question, or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. So before we get into some of the specifics of the things you just mentioned, um, there's a chapter in your life that some might find difficult to square with the Kimberly Carroll we know today, that I just want to at least touch on briefly before we move in headlong into the key things you, you've been doing and that are you know uh, standout entries, I guess, in your in your resume. And by which I'm referring to your your stint as a street performer.
2: <laughs> I was like, oh, I was getting nervous. What? what yeah. Wh- wh- what's this positive? guy? Where, <laughs> where's
1: this guy going right now? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yes, Duncan. I actually um, traveled the world as a street performer. Um, my show was a, a, a one-hour comedy musical show, and it ended with me lying on a pink bed of nails with a 200-pound man on my stomach while I sang my grand finale. So wow. you got it. You you've outed me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a little bit of the, the wild, you know, sort of... Um, the first, my twenties were all about, you know, being very career driven and getting breaking into television. And then I guess I had my midlife crisis early and decided to leave it all behind and travel the world for a couple of years. And and I have have a background as a performer, so yeah, I thought, oh, this this will be an interesting way to do it. Um, it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life, but I'm so glad I did it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like just one of those things that, like, looking back. A bit of a, a rough period, probably just because just the day to day existence. I'm sure was trying, but also just something else. that's like, well, this probably made me stronger in this, this, and this way, and, and brought this ability about or brought it out more that I didn't know that I even had. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. You know, that period of my life was was uh, was vital because. I really found a different part of me just through the travel. Mm-hmm. So again, the hard work and the, and and just what it took to day after day go out into strange squares in the world and half naked and do a show, you know, to make be able to afford to basically live. Um, but I ended that period of my life in India. I spent a few months in India because that's really the only place that at that point I could afford to, to live for a while okay and and India really changed my mission um, I I think being in India and it was actually the people and the um, the people dying of leprosy mm. and you know this is a, a, a totally curable disease I think 50 bucks to cure it and people were dying of leprosy in this country and there was such you know I mean it's a beautiful country too so so yeah. much spirit and heart but so much suffering, uh, suffering of the animals and the people. And I, at that point, I went, I can't, I can't be in this world uh, with this much suffering and and not be like really devoted to to making this world a better place. And so at that point, it really solidified my mission as an activist, as a change maker, um, that, you know, whatever I did in my career, uh, whatever I did for money uh, was also going to go towards uh, towards making a difference in this world. Yeah. So I, I kind of left behind some of my childhood, you know, wants. I, I had been a performer for a long time. I'd done a lot of acting. I let go of all of that. And I just went, no, this now is the time to move into my, my grand mission for my life, which is, is to make this world a better place than without me, you know, uh, better for me being in it than not.
1: Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. So let's talk about, we've mentioned, I've mentioned, you've mentioned, um, change makers and, and one of the many things that I kind of mentioned in the introduction was that you 're a coach for change makers, so uh, what does that mean exactly? I mean you know a devil 's advocate might say well you know there 's a little bit of one or more elements of jargon to that, but like mm-hmm. w- w- what are we really talking about uh, when we say coach for change makers
2: so basically, I work with uh, those people who really a strong through line for them is making a difference in the world, trying to make the world a better place. And usually, as as you mentioned, we're talking about nonprofit leaders. We're talking about grassroots activists. We're talking about social entrepreneurs, um, teachers. Yeah. Uh, And my, my work is, is really to help them do that deep inner work that will help to heal them and, and anything that might be stopping and limiting them. It's also to equip them with the high performance habits that will really allow them to, you know, be unstoppable and also just really effective strategies to, you know, so that the work and the energy and the time that they're putting into it um, is really going to make a high impact. So, yeah. So, so, Duncan, I mean, I've been coaching for about 13 years. I, yeah. I, I transitioned from, from television to coaching and I was just a general sort of body, mind, spirit, life coach. But because I was also an activist at the same time, I was I was tending to draw in other activists, and and these are beautiful people. Okay, they're so sensitive, they're so compassionate, but they're hurting. Yeah, okay? they're hurting because you know they have been exposed to the worst of the worst in the world. Um, you know whether that is in a racial um, sort of racial justice, environmental. Um, justice or you know animal rights. I mean, yeah. Let's take animal rights. You know there's 70 billion billion animals that uh, land animals that die every year after most of them living a really horrible existence. Um, and you add marine life, and we're talking in the trillions. And and so as an animal rights, you know somebody working as an animal advocate. You're intimately aware of this. You're intimately aware of all of the suffering and and the depths of suffering, and you're bearing witness to it all the time. And add to that that you've been drawn to caring about animals uh, because of you probably have a higher level of sensitivity, achievement, um, and empathy. And then you're exposed just again over and over again to the most horrific things done to the most powerful being, powerless beings on our planet. So. This is a recipe for disaster. And, um, and so for me, I went, I, I need, I want to help the helpers. I mean, there, there are these people that are, are every day are trying to fight the good fight, but who's helping them? Yeah. You know, and they're people just like everybody else. They have the same, um, you know, uh, wounds. They have the same limiting beliefs. Um, they have the same, you know, uh, competing uh, lifestyle things. And, and so I went these, especially in this day and age, I think everybody's starting to feel how much it's important for people to step up and start, like, doing something, you know, very active um, for the world. And, and so it's so very important to figure out how to keep these people, um, who, again, are too few and far between, how to keep them empowered, how to keep them enduring how to keep them really effective. Yeah. So so that's my work and and that's and I'm deeply passionate about it because I'm deeply passionate about uh about this world and and these are the, the people these are the soldiers that are fighting on to for for our world. So that's why I, I want to be there to support them.
1: And don't you find kind of that almost by their very nature activists uh are often activists because there's a hurt because there's an anger that has you know propelled them into activism to begin with so is that one of the things that you're often looking Absolutely. at yeah so yeah
2: so, duncan you, you totally nailed it
1: so what are what give me like two or three kinds of different change makers we've mentioned some but whether those are some that we've each mentioned or others and then Tell me, like, because, again, it doesn't sound like just by the very nature of this thing, this would be the kind of coaching would be one size fits all. It would probably be geared for that one person that's standing across from you in that room and knowing what their story is a little bit and then kind of sculpting your, your coaching to that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many, there's so many different things that uh, change face. Um, I think one of uh, the big ones that comes up is is this processing of pain, uh, you know, of of taking on all of sort of the sadness of the world on your shoulders, and what the hell do you do with it? Yeah. Um, so you know, when when it when you're getting steeped in it, um, and again being again maybe more sensitive, maybe more uh, especially em- um, empathetic, then uh, the emotional toll is high. I mean even again in animal rights uh there is there's a lot of cases of PTSD just from people watching videos and 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 images never yeah. mind going uh, you know I work with undercover investigators and so you can imagine what they go through but but I find that there's a lot of people that are just you know getting this sort of uh you know deep emotional to- uh, toll uh from from observing um, even through the screen. Um, but also there's the isolation um, that comes with being an outsider, You know, being an outlier, yeah. um, sometimes being rejected by your close family, your friends, your colleagues, um, and that can create a lot of anger or depression or anxiety. So these emotions are so natural, and no emotions are wrong. It's just what you do with them that counts. So, for example, I teach people um, some really tangible techniques For being able to process and move through pain, I, I, you know, I I don't believe in in denying pain or shoving it away or putting on a happy face. I believe we need to have space and and tools to be able to like almost daily kind of do this hygiene around pain to be able to go into it and and have ways to 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 cathartically move through it. So, and that can be as simple as breath work. Um, or it, it can be um, some uh, writing exercises, but I really love uh, movement exercises. I love using your movement, uh, you know, using your body mm. to be able to um, uh, work with pain. So you know, again, over the years, because this is something I've had to work on, I've developed or I've collected and developed, you know, various tools around that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that comes up a lot for uh, folks is the uh, activists and change makers is the idea of, of bridge building as opposed to uh, warring. Okay, like a lot of, and I, and I even just used it. I talked about soldiers and fight, and I have to watch that. But mm-hmm. the thing is, we we do. We have this feeling like it's us and them, and we're, we're fighting against the big bad. And yeah. instead, what we have to do is, is we have to try... To um, transform the world, we need to look at everyone not as an enemy but as a potential ally. So I really work with people around um, that idea of of us and them, of judgment, um, of of striking out, um, I, you know, of being able to deal with those that are are the opponents in this um, without basically losing your heart, okay? Without hardening yourself.
1: So yeah. Much. No, that's really and, interesting. And- Oh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, go because some of that, uh, wh- wh- where that gets, I think, really interesting, I think, um, is the bridge building. Sometimes if there's a certain issue that's being addressed or certain organization, let's say, that's addressing it primarily, and they maybe they are more inclined to bridge building, but then others, of course, maybe within that same movement think, well, no, 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 that you're compromising. You're giving in too much, so that's not really a win. So you, you, even within your own circle, you've got uh, sort of warring factions, even mm-hmm. while in the course of trying to Absolutely. bridge build. So
2: yeah, yeah, and, and it's just a matter of I'm, I'm not talking about any sort of pass passivity. I'm I'm a big believer of being bold and loud in one's actions, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 really more subtle. It's it's really about keeping something in your heart that says, um, you are not my enemy, you do not understand and I am going to have to boldly defend against, you know, your, your wrongful actions, but I am going to do it with this, this knowledge in my heart that you're doing the best you can with where the level of consciousness you're at um, or, you know, what you've been exposed to. So, so it's that idea that um, hurt is mostly caused by those who are hurting. You know, and and realizing that, um, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, "Darkness cannot drive out darkness; only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate; only love can do that." Now, love can look very strong, and it can look very powerful, and it can be unrelenting, but it is still done from a place of love and not hate in one's heart.
3: Yeah. So,
2: so there's subtle differences, and it's really trying. You know, and and again, there's there's I have all you know sorts of little, you know, mantras to keep in mind and, 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 and ideas that can help people to understand and, 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 to, and to help internalize this idea that I can be strong and I can stand up boldly, as, you know, um, to protect something, but I, I don't have to hate to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, one, one thing along these lines that caught my eye of yours that in particular was the coaching hour for mm-hmm. animal advocates
3: Yeah. So
1: maybe you could describe a little bit about that because, you know, that seems reasonable and yet probably super helpful just because it's not like not everybody probably has the time for like a course or even sign up for a Mm -hmm. package of coaching. But if there's something they thought they could get in a given hour or a given hour even regularly that could really help them, um, that would go a long way even if it wasn't going as far as maybe they wish they could.
2: Absolutely. I'm, I'm very, uh, like, I, I try to have lots of free resources because I also know that um, uh, change makers are, don't always have a, a lot of money. And so I always want to have as many resources as possible. Um, and, and just speaking on that, uh, Duncan, I, I actually have a five-part video course for free on my website, KimberlyCarol.com. And so you can just download it, and it talks about a lot of these things. And then this, this one hour, um, this coaching hour that you're talking about, that's actually part of my, our, our Animal Justice Academy that I lead. Mm. So um, Animal Justice Academy, uh, as you mentioned, it, it is uh, a, a, both an uh, online advocacy course, it's a, uh, a really supportive community. And it is an action collective and we do live events like at least every two weeks, if not more. And in as part of those live events, I do, um, I do coaching advocacy hours. Um, and so just, uh, you know, we always get together in community on zoom. Um, we often have, you know, for these at- lunchtime hours, we have up to a hundred people there. Um, wow. and it, they're on zoom, which is great. We get, you get to see faces. You get to get love in the chat. And then I also I just take questions and I, I work with people one on one and and whatever they're sort of struggling with as far as their animal advocacy goes or how their life, you know, sort of intersects with that. Um, I'm I'm there to help. And I love I love working with people one on one in that way. And even if you don't come on to talk with, about something yourself, I think everyone learns so much from everybody else's story. So, yeah. so I do that. And I also in in the fall. Um, I'm going to be doing bi-weekly coaching hours for activists in general. So um, that'll include, yeah, all areas of activism. And again, just uh, go to my website and and you uh, can subscribe there and you'll get all the information about that. Or um, I would really, if you're not part of Animal Justice Academy, um, it's such a beautiful place to be, so much information, like 80 modules at your fingertips, plus a beautiful... um, uh, AJA community through our Facebook, uh, group, private Facebook group. And then again, we gather at least every two weeks. So it's, and it's such a great positive animal advocacy space. We've really grown it that way. And, um, and so for anybody who could use some tips as far as animal advocacy, some ideas and inspiration, or could also just use some heart holding, you know, um, and to feel like you're not so alone in this, um, I really would, uh, invite you to come join us, um, at animaljusticeacademy.com.
1: No that sounds really great and and again one of the many uh many um resume uh things that you're holding you know kind of in your hands simultaneously and i I rattle off many of them at the top of the show oh. but uh, let's talk about um another one just because I think it's uh maybe these days perhaps even more important than, than other times, which is the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank, just because I think mm. everybody's, I think, struggling a little bit more with cost of things, rising costs of everything, including, obviously, food. So tell me a little bit about how this works and uh, how people can avail themselves of it if they need some help that maybe they didn't need just, just even recently. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely um, COVID times have have really revved things up as far as poverty goes and the post-COVID and now, you know, everything that's happening as um, we might be leading into a recession. Uh, so the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank, um, we started it because Toronto is a very diverse uh, community um, and a lot of people that are vegetarian or vegan or wanting to be vegetarian or vegan because um, they are, have been told by their doctor they should be eating plant-based. Um, a lot of, you know, refugees near the country that that eat uh, plant-based. Uh, we have students and activists. And we were finding that just the general food bank system doesn't really have a, a lot uh, for vegetarians and vegans, um, especially not vegans. Like, we were basically vegans are coming out empty-handed. And we just kind of thought, well, it's, you know, these people are already down on their luck so, so badly. And to make them also... Um, uh, have to compromise their, their some of their deepest health values or their health. Um, it just seemed like so tragic, and and so we started this uh, seven years ago. My partner um, Matt Noble and I, and uh, and it was just it was it was a way to intersect um, animal issues and poverty, uh, human issues, basically to be able to show that we can feed people and, and, and keep them healthy without hurting animals. So it's been, it's been just a really beautiful um, um, meeting of, of, of different, uh, you know, different areas of, of concern. And, um, and so we, we have been doing this for seven years. Um, You know, unfortunately it's, you have to be in Toronto to do it, but if you're, you are listening from Toronto, it's, uh, you just go to our website at tvfb.ca and, um, and get in touch with us and we'll get you, get you sorted out. Um, but also I think that uh, the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank has inspired some other, um, some other initiatives. And so we're seeing little veg food banks sort of sprouting up. Uh, uh, around North America now, which is really heartening, but what we're really hoping to do and 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 one of our our big missions is just to help move the food bank system over um so that it it is it, it can serve more plant-based food, not just for the vegans and vegetarians but for the the health and wellness of everyone yeah uh, and and also we're doing work to just basically try to put food banks out of business in general by by having um you know proper um, uh, universal basic income, so that people aren't having to, you know, go to private food banks to be fed.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that sounds like a kind of an important shift. And again, it's probably coming at a, at a particularly pivotal time right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do need to learn how to feed people in in a much more sustainable way. And uh, and one of our other projects with the food bank is we're we're we started this year our own veganic farm. So veganic is a form of growing that doesn't use any animal inputs, doesn't use any, um, uh, pesticides or herbicides. Uh, and I really do feel like it's the future of, of being able to grow our food, the future of our saving our soil and our, and our
1: food system. Cool. So,
2: so yeah, we're, we're, we're going, we're, we've just got tentacles going all over the place.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's great because that's, you know, in doing so, there's so many ways people can be helped and, um, and can also say, hey, I didn't even know about this. I'm going to help. I'm going to volunteer here. I didn't even know about this till just just recently.
2: But if you're a, a vegetarian or a vegan um, in your own city, I mean, one one thing we would really recommend, you know, you don't need to start your own food bank. A great thing would be to go to a really well-established food bank and 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 help them source plant-based foods, um, yeah. you know, going to plant-based companies and, and asking for them to... You know, donate, um, and you know, directing them towards really great, you know, resources uh, for plant-based. So, so I mean, ultimately, that's what we want to do. Is we want to we want to shift the entire system. We don't want to just be one
1: lone f- food bank. An example of that person doing that sounds like yet another example of how somebody, even on a, on a you know modest initial level, could be a change maker. So right up, Absolutely. right up your alley. This is Talking Animals yeah. on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. we in our final moments of speaking with my guest Kimberly Carroll, veteran Toronto-based animal advocate, leader, consultant, and coach for change makers. But we do uh, invite you to, if you'd like to get in a last-minute question or a comment. Join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at org, or texting 813-433-0885. So, Kimberly, we are indeed at the end. I just want to make one more mention of your website, KimberlyCarroll.com, although you've mentioned other websites for some of these other specific things that you lead or are directly involved with. But, um, what, what do you currently see as the one or two most urgent animal issues and also part B of that, is there uh, a different answer at all for Canada, let's say, as opposed to the U S or on, on some other level?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, my focus is, is always farmed animals because it's the, the biggest uh, degree of, of suffering and the most uh, being affected yeah. by, by billions and billions. Um, and so one of the most pressing things here, which is an import from your country, Duncan, is the egg gag laws. Yeah. Um, so egg gag laws kind of took hold in the US uh, about 10 years ago, and you've been fighting them ever since. And we, that fight got, or got, the egg gag laws managed to invade Canada. About two years ago, starting two years ago, we now have four provinces, um, including our most populous province, Ontario, that, are now, uh, that now have ag-gag laws in place. Um, and that, I mean, seeing as how uh, factory farming, industrial farming, I think is, is probably one of the, the biggest um, issues facing our planet. Yeah. Uh, never mind just animal advocacy and animals. It's, it's our planet. It's our health. It's our environment. Um, this is this is a really concerning thing because uh, undercover investigations, um, vigils, all of those ways that animal advocates have gotten the very secretive industrial farming system exposed. Um, the, the governments are governments are trying to outlaw that. Um, instead of improving the systems, they're, they're criminalizing uh, the whistleblowers. Ugh. And so that's a huge thing we're fighting right now in animal justice. I, I'm very happy to say we're, we're actually suing uh, Canada's most populous uh, uh, province, Ontario, right now. Uh, we're going to court in October. To try to overturn that law and we'll be just going province by province and and i know that there's still egg gag laws that are being fought in the u.s so yeah. anybody who you know like i would just recommend that everybody find out where the nearest egg gag laws are um find out you know how you can get politically uh involved and and duncan i think that's a piece that that i too many animal activists miss out on is is how powerful you as a citizen can be just, you know, writing a letter to your representative for sure. or trying to get a meeting with your representative, yeah. you know. Uh, it, it's done all the time, but people don't understand that. Um, in Animal Justice Academy, we were able to get a federal ag gag bill um, basically put on ice because um, of our academy members um, meeting with their MPs.
1: Yes. No that's oh, so great yes. and you can yeah. like you say you can flood those offices even just with uh, well written emails or phone calls and exactly. you know just, just at the most basic level people sit up and take notice like oh my god we got another email about this we got to maybe we we should do something and even if you can't Absolutely. meet with them just that alone can really help turn the tide so that's uh, Kimberly, right. we'll we get
2: a bunch of people together to do that
1: That's right that's right. Mm-hmm. So, Kimberly, we are at the end of our time, but it's been great speaking to you. This has been Kimberly Carroll, and again, it's KimberlyCarroll.com to uh, find out all kinds of things that she's doing, and many of which we touched on, some of which we didn't, just because she's doing so many things, we kind of can't <laughs> count <to> them all. <laughs> but, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for all your great work on behalf of all our animal friends over all these years.
2: Duncan, thank you for everything you're doing as well. 20 years, congratulations with this show. Amazing.
1: Thank you so much. We're getting there. Thanks so much. Take care. In a moment, I'll speak with Samantha Polk of Animal Coalition of Tampa, ACT, and she'll fill us in on the Dog's Day Brunch taking place this Sunday, July 17th at New World Brewery. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Aziz Ansari and a piece called Lady with the Puppies in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on
0: WMNF. Passengers can also be rude to you also. I was flying home once and I was sitting next to this couple. They had these two puppies that they put under the seats in front of us. And there was an older couple sitting there and they said, hey, uh, you guys mind moving the puppies over a little bit so we can put our jackets under there? And the lady with the puppies is like, uh, no, we have two puppies. They need all the room. Thank you very much. And I was like, whoa, why'd you need to be so rude about that? And then she started talking to her husband. She's like, uh. Can you believe those people asking us to move the puppies for their jackets? What kind of nerves do they have? Who do they think they are? And I was like, I can hate this lady. So I started chiming in. I was like, yeah, I heard that. I couldn't believe they'd ask something like that. Those people are awful. Those people are terrible. Those people deserve to be murdered. And I didn't say another word the whole flight. And the flight lands, and the old couple gets up, they leave the plane, and the young couple's about to get up, but I hold them down, and I go, no, no, I got this, <laughs> and I step over them, and I start following the old people, right? The young couple's behind me, we get outside the airport, I pull out the gun that I had from the previous joke, <laughs> load in two bullets, I aim it at the old people, but then I spin around and I aim it at the puppies, bang, bang! I shoot both those puppies in the face. And I go, never be rude to the elderly again. Have fun bearing your dead puppies. I know what some of you are thinking, oh no, why the puppies get shot? The puppies didn't do anything. I didn't really shoot any puppies. You're being stupid. <laughs> That was
1: and sorry. in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Lady with the Puppies taken from his album, Dangerously Delicious. Now it's time to speak with Samantha Polk of Animal Coalition of Tampa, ACT, about this dog's Day's brunch plan for this Sunday, July 17th in New World This is Samantha Polk back on Talking Animals on W. Good morning, Samantha.
4: Good morning, Duncan. Thank you for having us back on.
1: We're so excited. Oh, great. Love to have you on, and I always like to hear what's going on. But actually, for those listening who might not be familiar with Animal Coalition of Tampa, give us just a quick overview of ACT.
4: Animal Coalition of Tampa is a nonprofit veterinary clinic in Tampa Bay, and we specialize in high-volume spay and neuter services as well as life essential services, and we keep as a nonprofit, we keep our costs as low as possible so that everyone can afford to care for their animals, especially in this time <laughs> of need.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's that's a good description. And, uh, you know, I think most people listening probably do know ACT, but there's always some that probably don't, and we're and probably happy to make its acquaintance. So that's good. So this Sunday is the Dog's Day Brunch at New World Brewery. Tell me about this. This is a really
4: exciting exciting time for for us and this is our first ever pre-stride event um and it is sunday july 17th between 11 and 3 at new world brewery in tampa and what we're going to be doing is kind of illuminating the public with um our services and making sure they know that they can if we can all afford our pets and we're going to be doing raffles Of preventative pet medications and annual exam packages so you know free exams and and vaccinations things like that and all proceeds go to our mission to continue providing our services to the uh, dogs and cats of Tampa Bay and the brunch is amazing at New World Brewery. I don't know if anyone's been to their brunches on Sundays but this Sunday where the dogs are taking over so bring a leash pull up a seat and we can't wait to see everyone.
1: Does that mean there'll be a poodle making omelets or maybe a Labrador at the carving station?
4: <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, I, okay. uh, I guess I've if people
1: go, they thing. can find out, right? That's the key. That's right. Right. Yeah.
4: We have on our, our Facebook, um, we have the event on our Facebook page. And also it's on the ac ACTampa.org site under events. Um, all the information is there, and if anyone has any questions, you know, they can always message us, email, no problem.
1: And one quick thing, to, although it sounds like they can find all that information uh, pretty pretty easily, uh, are there reservations or any kind of sign-up necessary to come to the brunch, or do you just turn up with your dog and it's all cool?
4: Yeah, it, there's nothing you have to do other than show up, and you don't even have to bring a dog.
1: Okay, that's great. <laughs> that's you for got the,
4: the fun. Yeah.
1: Bring a dog or don't bring a dog. You're welcome. That's uh, to to come to Absolutely. the thing. Absolutely.
4: Okay. It's getting the information out, and we can't wait to see everyone. And Great. It's going to be
1: the first of several events before Stride for Strays. Right. So uh, you, you touched on that, but let, let's just uh, take a one quick. We're sort of almost out of our time, but let's talk a little bit about again for people listening who might not know Stride for Strays. Most people listening probably do. But what is Stride for Strays, and when is it coming this year?
4: Stride First Strays is our annual benefit walk. This is our 21st year, and you can go to ACTampa.org under events to find out more information about that. It will be October 23rd between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Al Lopez Park in Tampa. And, again, all, all proceeds go to the nonprofit so We can continue our mission.
1: That's great. And really important because, as you noted earlier, uh, ACT provides kind of low-cost Span neuter and other kind of uh, veterinarian services. Absolutely. But one one of the ways you're able to do that is because it's you're you're funded partially by things like Stride for Stray. So it's really important for people that yeah. have been patients or you know, been there before, if they can participate in Stride in one way or another or, or contribute in some way or another, that helps keep the whole operation going so they'll be there the next time you need them.
4: Absolutely. And with right now the, the oh how so many shelters are at capacity, the the more we can help to keep overpopulation down and to help people keep their animals, that that makes us complete our mission. And that's why we've been here for over 20 years. And it's through fundraising and sponsorship and events like these that we're able to continue that.
1: That's great. All right, Samantha, thank you so much. We'll look for everybody over at the Dogs Day Brunch this Sunday at New World Brewery, and uh, look ahead to October twenty third for Stride for Strays. Thank you so much for joining. Thank today, you and again, Duncan. Thank you. Have
4: a great one. Okay, Bye. You
1: too. All right, on this show at the moment, by the way, we got Scott Elliott coming up, racing around. Uh, Construction delays and other things, but he's here. He's here, man, because that's 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 the thing. He's gearing up now for his show, which of course is noon to three. Great, great, great music followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music, and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming here on WMNF and WMNF.org. So right now on this show, as the prize for name that animal tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault. The first person who calls eight one three. 239-9663 9, 9, 6, 6, and correctly identifies this animal song, timely for a movie that seems to be getting a lot of chatter at the moment. It's name that animal tune on a Talking Animals on WNO. Oh, baby, baby, oh, let oh,
0: me anywhere. Oh, I
1: don't want to be a tiger. Can you name that animal tune? If so, we'll take your guests off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Uh, Next Wednesday, my guest will be Kate McFall, Florida State Director for the Humane Society of the United States, and Catherine McGill, who runs 411 Wildlife Solutions, a humane wildlife company. We'll be discussing Florida's trapping regulations and some pending changes that, uh, let's just say, those... They require our attention, so we'll hear about that and maybe some steps you might want to take to uh, halt those. So that's next Wednesday on Talking Animals here on WMF. Information, archives, et cetera, social media links are all at talkinganimals.net. Scott Elliott's up next after NPR News headlines. Thanks so much.